a little bit of uh, assistance with uh, if they're doing a project, you know, building and stuff. But for the most part, he's out there preaching the gospel and in the ghettos and uh, and in uh, uh, places that a lot of people just would never go. And Lord just called him to do that. And um, and we met uh, probably about eight years ago when we were actually had traveled over to uh, the Northern Ireland. We were on our way to Latvia to do a uh, youth camp. Uh, and so we spent a, a few days there at the castle and um, got to spend some time with Ronnie and got to meet up with uh, uh, Brother Nigel. And, um, uh, and it's interesting how all these things get put together, right? How, how we meet each other and, and so... So he's in, in the U.S. visiting friends and um, uh, preparing for his next uh, parts of his uh, travels there. So um, uh, where, where are you going next out of the country? Going to Guyana and where else? And Trinidad? And yeah. And so um, we'll have to get a globe here and find out where these places are at, right? So, um, But he's here, and so uh, he was in the area. We, we were in contact, and... I invited him up to come be with us, and uh, and so he's here today, uh, and I thought it'd just be good for him to come, and, um, uh, you know, even though we're a local church, um, we should always have a heart uh, for the world, uh, and, you know, the majority of our work will, will maybe here locally, but, uh, of course, we, we as a ministry support Brother Nigel and uh, have had uh, for some years now, and um, uh, it's good to always expand our, our thoughts of the world, amen, uh, to you know, we talk, we've talked a lot about the Jewish church there in the book of Acts, and it really wasn't until even the Lord told them in Acts chapter 1 to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, they didn't get out of uh, Jerusalem until Acts chapter 8, many, many years after the Lord told them to go everywhere. And really, they didn't go by choice. It's uh, Basically, Paul, when he was on the other side of the Lord, was, uh, uh, was tormenting the church and persecuting the church. And the church was scattered abroad, uh, not entirely, but partially because of Paul's uh, persecution of the church. And they finally started going out. And, and um, of course, we know the story in Acts chapter 8 with Philip. Actually went down to the city of Samaria uh, and um, preached Christ there to them. Uh, and so, uh, but it was really Paul, uh, starting in Acts chapter 9, that, that had a heart to go everywhere. And so Paul started traveling around the world, uh, the known world at that time, uh, in Europe, in, in uh uh, and then Asia Minor and different places to bring the gospel to the world. And, of course, it's taken off since then. So uh, missionaries are are, um, are an important part of the church uh, and um, establishing works around the world. Amen. Uh, and so we just want to welcome Brother Nigel to come up and, and just uh, uh, bring whatever the Lord has placed on his heart to the church and impart things. And, and uh, I hope everybody's able to join us here online and watch the service. And I think you'll enjoy Brother Nigel. So come ahead, Brother Nigel. Well, sure, it's so good to see you again. Amen. Good to see you. Yeah, Thank so. you for the invitation. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Good evening, everybody. How is everyone at home? Yeah, we're great. <laughs> uh, we have an audience of two, actually. Yeah. An audience of three. We know that the Lord is with us as well. But great, Pastor Chip, to have the opportunity to come and uh, to see yourselves and to uh, be introduced to the, to the church, even online, but it's just a blessing to be in this part of the world, even to get a couple of days of fellowship with yourself, and obviously a lot of encouragement uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, I arrived uh, in the U.S. last week and uh, have some friends in Georgia, and uh, just couldn't miss this opportunity to come just a couple of hours north to meet yourselves. Uh, interesting weather system. Yeah. yeah. 
pretty cool, but uh, it is. It's good to be here. So, as Pastor Chip had said, just um, I'm from Northern Ireland. Uh, I've been a Christian 25 years. My mother did very well. She raised us, good Presbyterians, uh, Sunday school, and uh, like a lot of young people, once you get to that age of 16, 17 years old, then there's a lot of other distractions, unfortunately, and spent a good number of years in the world before eventually the Lord spoke to my heart in 1999. So it's 25 years walking with Jesus, uh, 25 years, thankfully by His grace, uh, keeping my eyes focused upon Him, the author and perfecter of my faith. And uh, He's taken me on the most incredible journey over this past 25 years. Uh, I was raised in a home. I had a good mother, and she feared, and uh, she did her best for her children, and uh, I never thought that at one point I would receive that grace in my life where the Lord would take me into His kingdom. And from there, I guess my experience was I was saved into a small house fellowship of 12, 15 believers, uh, people from a Catholic background, from a Protestant background that have found Christ and found a comfortable and a safe space to learn the Word of God. We had a great teacher, and um, he taught us a lot of principles. I experienced the presence of God for the first time. And also, um, I guess as an evangelist, I always had that thing inside, why aren't we doing more? The fellowship's good, the worship's good, the prayer's good. Everything that we seem to be doing in this person's house was very, very good. But as the evangelist, there was something more stirring inside. There has to be more to the Christian life than just attending a place of worship. And it's great that we can do that. It's great that we have freedom in our respective nations uh, to do these things. I know we've had good fellowship over this past uh, 24 hours, and we've talked a lot about different parts of the world. Um, I had last year spent time in places like Pakistan and Uzbekistan and a couple of months in India, a time in Bangladesh, some very, very obscure parts of the world where people just don't have the same freedom to follow Christ. So as I come back west again, it's like with all the churches that I speak to, I make it very, very clear that we should take advantage of the freedoms that we have while we still have these freedoms. As you had mentioned, Pastor Chip, uh, well, Lockdown came. It was a distraction. COVID, I guess that distraction was for a lot of people. And uh, we all got through that. But uh, I had three years at home and a great opportunity at the castle. And we, we served a lot of ministries and we did a lot of good things at home and helped, I guess, with the thrift stores. And I guess all the time in here, something's burning to get back to the nations. I had left home in 2002. I spent a year in Denver and Colorado and had an amazing time studying there. I went to Venezuela for one year in 2003 and spent 12 years. My experience of church was different probably to a lot of other people's, although I understand the relevance and the importance of the body of Christ and us meeting and, and everything else. My heart was very, very much for the streets. So as a young Northern Irish man learning Spanish at uh, 32, 33 years old, it, just, it wasn't the easiest thing in the world. I had asked the Lord, if you want me to stay in this city in Venezuela, you're going to have to help me to learn the language. It's just very, very interesting that the first language that I learned, the first vocabulary 
that I learned in Venezuela was the Word of God. And I must actually tell my old pastor in Venezuela that the first, the first voice that I learned to listen to and understand was the voice of my pastor, which I think even biblically is quite, uh, quite significant. So we had spent a good number of years on the streets, and we knocked doors. Um, I'm quite interested in numbers and can tell you that we had 150 square miles of city, 2 million people, 3,640 square blocks. And I said to the Lord, I know how to do some things in Spanish, like order pizza, <laughs> important things, how to get home in a taxi, and how to tell people that Jesus loves you. And I thought, what is it you want me to do? I got a map of the city, and I started to knock doors basically on my own in the southeast corner of Barquisi Meadow. And little by little, God brought people and uh, gave me a mission space. I wrote, oh my goodness, I, I wrote to 80 different, uh, I guess, lit literature, Christian literature organizations in the world. And a lot of them responded. There was one organization responded with one ton of tracts. That's a lot of boxes of tracts, yeah. And they sent them the whole way from the United Kingdom. So we had a lot of materials. We started to knock doors. Um, again, I'm only three years old in Christ by this stage. And I'm starting to see that as we walk out the Word of God, as we apply the Word of God, He responds to that. And a big part of that is stepping out in faith to see what God wants to do. And for His glory in that eight or nine year period, we, we saw maybe 5,000 people come to the Lord. We saw the miracles of the kingdom of God. And again, just that experience of maybe within the first 15 years of my Christian life, that 12 of them were spent, you know, in bus stations and hospitals and on the streets working with alcoholics, working with addicts, and giving me a very, very different perspective on, on church. But thank God we, we managed to work with 30 different churches across the city, and we saw a lot of amazing things, encouraged a lot of churches along the way. But whenever the Lord told me that He wanted me to do this, I knew it was from Him because it was so impossible. It's not something that I could muster up. Believe me, it was never a thought that I had to do that. And if you walk <laughs> them blocks for eight years, it's a lot of time. And thank God, I mean, there were times that we had 40 or 50 people that were working with us. And you can get a lot of work done. Yeah. yeah. But then there's a realization that, okay, as an evangelist, we can fast, we can pray, we can learn the Word, we can share the Word. But then if you've got all of these people that have come to Christ, what are you going to do with them? Then you have to disciple them. And then there's a, a process of pastoring and sending and everything else just in their, in their, their spiritual walk. So we were blessed to work with maybe 30 or 40 different churches in Venezuela, which... Uh, just opened a door of blessing, and we worked with the Assemblies of God, we worked with the Baptists, we worked with a lot of Methodists, a lot of people that are connected to the Wesleyan people in Georgia. So we had an amazing time. So came home to Northern Ireland 2015 to help out at the castle and met your good selves probably 2016. But again, that thing's stirring in the heart. Um, we noticed, well, the world noticed that in 2016, the the Syrian war, things that were going on in Afghanistan, and hundreds of thousands of refugees that were leaving those parts of the Middle East and coming through Turkey into Europe via Greece. I saw it as an opportunity to go and to speak 
to these people. We don't get the opportunity to go to Afghanistan. We don't get the opportunity to go to Iran or these places, but for some reason, God is allowing them to come to us. So keep, keep, keep that in prayer, because I know there's a lot of good Christian people, a lot of good evangelists, a lot of good ministries that are still working among these people in different parts of Europe, yeah? So, as I say, we went through our uh, lockdown, that process, and um, at the end of 2022, I spoke to Ronnie, and I said, as much as I enjoy the work and the thrift stores and the castle and being home, of course, I, I'm called to the nations, and I can't get away from that. I need to get back to the nations. So, uh, as you had mentioned, uh, last year I had uh, the opportunity to speak in so many parts of the world and speak in so many churches, and uh, I think there's conclusions to that. Uh, I learned a lot of things. Um, probably one of the most difficult and challenging years of my Christian life, yeah, but uh, probably the most rewarding and a realization that with sacrifice comes reward. With great sacrifice comes great reward and everything that brings glory to God. So I said to the Lord, I'm going to take two years. I'm going to travel. I'm going to preach. I have, as mentioned before, some good friends in the Atlanta area, and uh, I'll be in the U.S. for three weeks. And again, it's just a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Um, so yes, a realization at a young age that we have something to do. A realization that we're not brought into the kingdom of God just to occupy a seat. And it's good that we come to church, and it's good that we have fellowship, that we break bread, that we listen to the Word, that we pray, that we praise God, and everything else that we do in context of church. But uh, a remembrance that the, the marketplace is out there. The work is out there. I do recall somebody speaking a number of years ago, and they said that a lot of things happened in the temple, but most of the evangelism, most of the miracles happened out there. And I really believe in modern times that uh, we have a responsibility to maintain that. So I probably feel more comfortable on the streets than I do yeah. in church to some degree, but that's just the way that God has molded me. So again, a, a, a big part of the message that I have as I travel is to encourage the body of Christ to step out in faith to seek God for His will, to seek God for the things that, that He has for us. I'm absolutely convinced that we see patterns, and I have probably ministered in 35 or 40 different nations of the world over a 22-year period, and there, there is, you, you see some patterns, you see some things, and unfortunately, sometimes whenever people come to the Lord, there's this, just, this, 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 this high point they're on fire for Jesus. I mean, they've just been born again. The sky is bluer and the grass is greener. Well, it's always greener in Ireland, but yeah. But it's just they want to do something. And a lot of times, within a couple of years, if they're not steered a certain way, that they end up just conforming to what everybody else is doing in context of church, church programs and, and everything else. Um, I guess... Um, out of maybe strong character, I made a decision that, well, I, I don't want to just occupy a pew on a Sunday. I believe that God has something more for each and every one of us. So uh, a lot of what I speak on is about the calling of God. I like to tell people that there's more to this Christian life than 
than just maybe some of the things that we do experience. I'm also convinced that a lot of people fall away from church because they never find a purpose in church. We are to be doers of the Word of God, not just listeners of the Word of God. But unfortunately, especially in my country, we have a lot of traditional churches and people spend 40, 50, 60 years of their life just listening to the Word of God, and they're not ever encouraged to do. So um, with all of that said, um, I think about different characters in the Word of God that were called of God and how they actually responded. Because as I tell people, if you've been walking with Jesus for more than five or ten years, it's probable that He's spoken something to you, that He's placed something in your heart, and He's waiting for you to actually put those things into some kind of motion or to actually apply the thing that He's told you to do. And a lot of people say, yeah, I know that he's told me to do this, but I don't know how to start the ministry, or I'm not encouraged, you know, in church to start the ministry, or whatever the reasons are. But I also believe, as the Word of God says, we're all part of the one body. And, uh, you know, if I only have one leg, my my, my life isn't just going to be so easy. If my, my right hand and left hand aren't exactly coordinated if my right hand wants to do one thing, my left hand wants to do something else, well, that leaves it a little bit more difficult for, for me as a person. And I think in context of the body of Christ, if we're all functioning together with our different purposes going in the right direction, then we can fulfill and we can complete the thing that God has called us to do. Uh, regardless of how insignificant we think the little finger is, it's still very important. And obviously the eye and the ear and everything else. So I tell people, we all have a part. We've all got a responsibility to do something in the body of Christ. But again, back to Scripture, uh, I always like the story of, of Moses. Uh, we know the story of Moses, the story of the Exodus um, especially, and how, again, just to, to recap how Moses, at the age of 40, had to leave Egypt because he had murdered somebody. And he spends the next 40 years in the desert with sheep, so this prince of Egypt, for the first 40 years of his life, has to run away and spends the next 40 years in the dust and the dirt and the manure and the smell and everything that pertains to looking after sheep in the desert. And we know the story that he has an experience in Exodus 3 of the burning bush. Um, a lot of times I read through that story, but I just want to back up a little bit and I think about the circumstances uh, in which Moses was born, that the Hebrew people were becoming numerous, too numerous for the likings of the Pharaoh. And he made a decree that uh, what we're going to do is every male that is born, every Hebrew male that is born, we're going to slaughter them. So for every Hebrew male that was born, obviously, it automatically put a fear in the hearts of the parents as soon as that child was born. It's a baby boy. What are we going to do? They're going to throw this child into the river. They're going to kill this child. And I think to myself, Mary or uh, Moses' mother, how she would have felt, how the family would have felt whenever this little boy was born. And it says in the Bible that they managed to, to hide the child for a while. And then the decision was made, we're going to have to put this baby in the water. And the water, Word of God says at the start of Exodus, it says that they, they made a basket, they put tar and pitch on it, and they put the baby in the basket, and they placed it 
into the river. And as a parent, we're both parents, and I'm sure there's many parents that are watching tonight. Just the thought of having to do that with your own child must be absolutely terrifying. So the, the, the child is released reluctantly into the river, and Moses' older sister is watching as the basket goes down the river. And the one place that you wouldn't want it to end up is in Pharaoh's courts. Yeah. Let, 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 it, let it go on, you know. Let it, let it go somewhere else. Maybe somebody else will be merciful and gracious and look after my baby boy. But it stops, and it's the daughter of Pharaoh that sees this basket, and, and the, the, this child is brought to her. And I guess out of wisdom, Moses' older sister goes and says, do you want me to go and fetch one of the Hebrew women to nurse this child? So I often think about how, how would these characters, how, how would they have felt? Because they were human beings. They had emotions. They had, they had a heart. And I'm thinking of the, the mother that had to release this child into the water and the, the trauma and maybe what was going through her mind every second as she's thinking, this, this child is just abandoned. This child is just on its own. But the sister's watching, and she steps in and says, I will get a Hebrew woman to come and nurse this child and help you. And Pharaoh's court said, well, find a woman, and we will pay her a salary to come and look after the child. So I imagine the young girl going back home and the mother's heart and the door opening and the child coming in and the mom is thinking, well, what about my little baby boy? And then the good news comes, you know. I think of this mother placing this child into the waters, but really what she was doing, she was, she was placing this child in the hands of God because you know what? Sometimes we don't have an option. Sometimes we have to take some things in life and all we can do is place them in the hands of God. And with a lot of fear, with a lot of worry, and trying to have faith, in, in the God of the Hebrews, trying to believe that God has a plan in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. But the young girl comes back to the mother, and she's just waiting there, and the mother's waiting for the news. And the, the, the daughter comes in and says, well, I've, got, I've got some bad news and some good news. The child ended up in Pharaoh's court and was lifted out of the water and is now in the hands of the daughter of Pharaoh. But... All is not lost. With God's intervention, I'm here to give you some good news. And that is, they want you to come and to nurse your own baby boy. And they're even going to pay you a salary to do that. So Moses grows up then for the next 40 years. And he kills, and he has to leave, and he spends the next 40 years in the desert. And I often hear people say that, it, it, it took that time. You can take the man out of Egypt, but it takes a longer period of time to take Egypt out of the man. And sometimes even with ourselves, whenever we come to the Lord, it's like, yeah, of course, we're, we're on fire for the things of the kingdom. But, you know, God's saying, you know, there's something I need to teach you, and it involves humility. There's some things that I have to take out of you before I can actually use you, regardless of your passion, regardless of the fire that you have for the things of the kingdom of God. I just need to get this time to teach you something. So 80 years has passed of his life, and I would imagine that looking after sheep would give you a long time to think. And I think to myself, how many times did Moses 
think about his family. Think about his sister, think about Aaron, think about his mother, think about his adoptive mother, think about Pharaoh, think about the Hebrew people. Is there even really a God? Because by this stage, 80 years into his life, he didn't really have any evidence. Because the God of the Hebrews, whenever he looked at the Hebrew people, he thought, well, these people are in slavery. Where, where is their God? Why isn't he coming to help them? So he has this experience of the burning bush. <laughs> I like this. Sometimes, sometimes God speaks to us in, in such a way, and he asks us to do something. And it's like, if you could write down the one thing that you wouldn't want to do, sometimes that's the thing, the very thing that God wants you to do. So God steps in and he speaks to Moses, remove your sandals, you are a holy ground. And he says, I've heard the cries of my people. So I think Moses is there with the, the, the checklist, you know, with the clipboard. Okay, so, so God exists, check. He's heard the cries of the people, check. So he's going down through this list. And Moses is thinking, well, this is all good news so far. I mean, in my 80 years of life, a lot of questions have just been answered in two minutes. And Moses is not ready for what God says next. He says, therefore, you know, I've heard their cries, you know. Therefore, I am sending you. And I, I, I don't know what happened to Moses' heart at that moment, but I would imagine it nearly stopped. Because I would imagine the last place in the world, and I believe for a lot of us, for a lot of the body of Christ, there, there are places in life that we never want to return to. There's some things that I've left behind, and I would never have any intention. I'm not talking about sin or that type of thing, but just circumstances and to, to, to be in different places. It's like, no, I never want to confront that again. The last thing that Moses expected was that the God of the Hebrews is going to reveal himself to me He's going to explain to me that he's heard the cries, that he knows what's going on. He's going to do something about it, but he's sending me. So Moses, somebody was very instrumental in helping me with something that was actually quite transformational in the way that I think and the way I process. Somebody said to me one time, you know, just about a reaction being different to a response. And I thought, wow, I never really thought of that before. As an Irishman, <laughs> Northern Irish man. I'm very, very quick to react. Do you understand? Yeah. I'm not very, very good at responses because responses sometimes takes a little time to stand to the one side and think things through and then step back in again, you know? And I'm very, very quick. And um, I guess I know we had spoken before about the life of Peter, but I like Peter because sometimes I feel like Peter. Sometimes I think with my mouth. Sometimes it comes out of my mouth before I realize, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have just said that. I should have thought about that before that came out of my mouth. So I think that initially Moses, he had said, as we read through chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, he says, who am I that I should go? I think that was more a reaction, yeah? Well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, the last place where I want to go? And God says to him, well, you know what? I'm going to be with you. And then he turns around and he says, well, suppose they ask me, the Hebrew people, the leaders, you know, if they ask me, who sent? Who sent me? And God says, well, tell them I am who I am. 
But what if they don't believe me? So Moses has the string. And I want to give Moses the benefit of the doubt. This was more a reaction than a response. But I would imagine even if he thought about it, this might have been the same way he would have responded. What if they don't believe me? Uh, and in chapter 3, uh, sorry, in chapter 4, it says, well, you take, take this staff, throw it in the ground. It's going to turn into a snake, lift it up again. But what if, well, then put your hand inside your jacket, take it out, it'll be leprous, put it back in, it, it'll be clean again. And what if they still don't believe? Well, get some water from the Nile, pour it out, it's going to turn to blood. So here's Moses. The first time he has this encounter with God and this conversation with God, everything is just excuse, excuse, excuse. He really doesn't want to do this at all. I like this one. In chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 10, he tells God, I have never been eloquent of speech, in speech, yeah? And God responds, God, God, by the way, God has always got a response for your excuse. He's always got a response for your excuse. He says, Aaron, your brother, is on his way. He will help you to speak. But as, as well as I know this story, I opened the book of Acts in chapter 7, verse 22, a number of years ago. And it says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, powerful in speech, powerful in speech and powerful in action. Here's a contradiction. Is it a contradiction? I would never call Moses a liar. <laughs> But here's a contradiction where Moses is saying to God, well, I'm not the man to go because I don't really know how to speak. Maybe I've got a stutter. I'm not sure what his problem was. But as we read in the book of Acts, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, powerful in speech and powerful in action. Now, it says, unfortunately for Moses, that the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he says, now go. I'm sending you. Moses' Moses's heart was exposed, even in the midst of a reaction. He says, forgive your servant, please. Send somebody else. He didn't want to go. And uh, for all of us believers, obviously, we've known this story for a long time of the Exodus. We know that he brought a lot of glory to God and spent another 40 years in the wilderness with uh, the children of Israel. So I say to myself, as God speaks to me, how do I react or how do we respond to that? Now, another story that I actually really like is the story of Jonah. Four short chapters. Um, and it's very, very interesting that Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. And again, something I just discovered a number of years ago as I was studying. If you take a look in Second Kings 14, it'll tell you about Jonah. But we know the story. It says in chapter 1 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of um, Amittai. Yeah? Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. <laughs> a prophet of the Lord. Not even just a new believer or somebody that's backslidden. This is a prophet of the Lord. And he's told, go to Nineveh. And he decides he's going to run in the complete opposite direction. He's heading for Tarshish. He jumps on a boat, and God sends a storm. So, this is so severe that the people on the boat have to start to jettison things off the boat. They're, they're, they're afraid. They're in trouble. They're in real trouble here. And they're throwing things overboard. 
And I would imagine there's other ships out there as well, and, and they're in trouble too. And Jonah has brought these problems on these people through his disobedience. The captain of the ship, he says, pray to your God. He's really saying, I don't care who you pray to, just let's pray. They say that they drew lots to find out realistically who the problem was. And the crew, they all knew that the problem was Jonah. That the problem had been brought to them because of Jonah's disobedience. So they knew this. Then the question was, where is this guy? Jonah is downstairs and Jonah is sleeping. So the captain goes down and he says to him, who are you? You know, what have you done? And of course, Jonah wakes up and he says, well, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God of... And he comes out with this Christianese type thing of... And I've, I've met people in that position before where, yep, at different times, even people in the midst of their, their disobedience, they'll still confess Christ in the midst of everything. We've worked in a lot of, or outside a lot of clubs and concerts and different things, and sometimes you, you meet people that have just fallen away from the Lord, but as soon as you mention, who are you? All of a sudden, well, I'm a born again, and this is, you know, it's like, well, well you're, you're obviously running in the wrong direction. So they understood that the problem was with, with Jonah. So what are they going to do with Jonah? Now, here's the issue. The problem is that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, they, they, they had a problem with the Ninevites as enemies. They had no love for them whatsoever. They considered them to be savages. And you would think just in his humanness, he didn't want to go there because he was afraid for his life. But as I look at this and read through the story, I see some parallels between Jonah's mentality and maybe the mentality that we have in Northern Ireland. And I can tell you very, very clearly, Pastor Chip, I know, unfortunately, there are people in Northern Ireland who are part of the church who don't, don't want to see the blessing of God go to the other side of the community. It's true. And I'm not going to point finger at other nations, but I know there are other nations with that type of division. They, they don't want to see the blessing of God going to them people. And maybe to take it one step further, I know that even Christian pastors in Northern Ireland that would advocate that, well, these people can't be saved. So there's, yeah. So there's no point wasting our time going to Nineveh to tell them heathens about the kingdom of God. Yeah, really, that, that mentality is alive and well in the world. So I think part of Jonah's problem was he didn't want to see the blessing of God come to the people of Nineveh. So he ran in the opposite direction. The storm came. The captain recognized who the problem was, confronted Jonah, and Jonah appeared to be the, the noble one. He said, look, I'll find a solution to this problem. Just take me. Don't, don't, don't be throwing any more things overboard. Take me and throw me overboard. Now, in the eyes of everybody else on that boat, wow, he is some man, such a brave man. Why, he, he would sacrifice his life for us. Who, who would want to be thrown into those stormy waters? Well, Jonah said, well, well, throw me in. Was he being noble? Absolutely not. He was saying, realistically, I would rather die I would rather die than obey God. I would rather die than see the blessing of God going to them 120,000 people 
in Nineveh. How about that? So, it's true of our lives. I mean, God, God examines the motives of the heart. But to the crowd, as they looked upon on the boat, whatever was going on, they're thinking, oh my goodness, we're, we're going to name a ship after this guy. This guy is, <laughs> you're going to put a plaque at the back of this ship or, you know, a figurehead or something. I mean, Jonah the brave, you know, it's like not Jonah the coward. Yeah, he's running from God and he would rather die. Yeah. So they throw him into the water and I can't imagine. They throw him into the water and he thinks, that's it. And by the way, the, the, the storm is now calm, but he's in the water. God commands a fish. We know the story of the whale. The whale comes and gobbles him up. And I can't imagine being inside the stomach of a whale for, for three days, but that's where he was. And he suffered. As we then read down through chapter 2, and uh, I could read the story, but I know that everybody knows the story. Please read the four chapters in your own time. Uh, read, obviously, Exodus uh, chapters 3 and 4. Uh, about the story of the burning bush and uh, Moses' call, yeah. But um, he suffers inside, and as you read chapter 2, he's crying out to God, help me. This is terrible. I'm suffering. I, I, I don't know why, but I remember a long, long time ago in Sunday school, a long time ago, I was only a child, and there was like a poster on the wall, and there was a poster of a, of a whale, a painted whale, and you can see inside the stomach of the whale. And Jonah was in there on a deck chair, and he had a little fire, and he was trying to get, he was cooking a fish. <laughs> Whatever it was. <laughs> and I thought to myself, there's absolutely no reality in that. No reality whatsoever. That guy was in there in acids and stomach acids and everything else, and he was melting, he was burning up, and he was crying out to God for mercy. After three days... That's a long time. God commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land. And that's what happened. The, chart of, the, the start of chapter 3, I, I imagine just Jonah's there, and he, he's still kind of burning a little bit, but he's relieved. He really is thinking, that it, it, it's done and dusted, it's over, it's finished. But the start of chapter 3 says, And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah again. Go to Nineveh. So again, the story is there for all of us in black and white. We know that he went reluctantly, and he declared God's word, and 120,000 people were saved. Yeah, from destruction. So even somebody, a prophet, a man of God, walking in total disobedience, reckless dis disobedience to God can be used by God, even in the midst of his bitterness, in the mid middle of his pain and his anger and his resentment and everything else, he was still used of God. So maybe as a younger Christian, I used to think, I don't want to make excuses to God. I don't ever walk, want to walk in rebellion to God. I'm not going to run the other way. And I thank, I thank God that in 25 years, I've never turned away by His grace. And just personally... Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I learned that at a very, very young age, maybe a life scripture that people speak about. But also, as the Word of God says, he who has been forgiven much will love me much. And I have a past. I was 29 whenever I came to the Lord. I have a, I have a dark past, and I know what he's forgiven me for. You understand? So it's, you know, 
for anybody that's thinking that the, the grass is greener on the other side. It's not in any way. Because I, I've been on both sides of this, and believe me, there's nothing that the enemy can give you or tempt you with that, that they could ever confer, compare to the beauty of walking with the Lord and to walk with Him every day and to know Him and to understand in your heart that your future is secure, that eternity is yours. Oh, yeah. The devil has come to steal, steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life in abundance. John 10, 10. Right, we'll move on then to a sunnier climate. In Mark chapter 1, verse 16, it speaks about the calling of the first disciples. Again, just re read that in your own time, but I love this story in comparison to these other two stories. It says that Jesus was walking along the sea, and he saw Andrew and Simon, and he said to them, Come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The Word of God says immediately. Some versions say straight away. Yeah, at once, immediately. There was no question. It also says that Jesus walked a little more and came across John and James and said, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And it says the same thing. Immediately, they left their boats and they followed him. Now, what I like, and I know this is your department whenever it comes to the theological side of things, but uh, as, as we look at the Gospels, we talk about the synoptic Gospels, Yeah. Really, it is, you know, some of the stories are told three times, some of them may be told twice. But sometimes whenever you read the same story from a different angle, it gives you a different perspective from a different person. It gives you a bigger overall picture of what's going on. So as much as I like that particular story in Mark chapter 1, I also like Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And I'm just going to read this because this is... Just a beautiful piece of scripture. Okay, so that's in the book of Luke. I do put markers in here, but anyway. Yes, yeah, so Mark, sorry, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. I hope your people are okay with my accent. Am I doing okay? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's great. No problem. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding him. And listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to pull out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Again, Simon's not just that obedient. He just responds, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, not even one little fish. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had gone, done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Or another version says, Lord, go away from me, I am an unclean man. For he, had, for he and all his companions were astonished 
that the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were both James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. And just remember in the book of Mark, chapter 1, it tells us immediately, immediately, straight away, at once. Yeah? And I think to myself, and I do, as I mentioned last night just in our, our fellowship, I, I, I like the example of, of Peter and some of the things that, that Peter did, some of the things that Peter had said. And I think just with, with all of us, sometimes we can, we, we can think that we're not really progressing in this journey. But at, at different times, the, the, there are markers in our Christian lives. And we, we come to that marker and we look back and we realize, oh, wow, God, God has really taken me somewhere. It's been five years or 15 years, but I really believe that he's changing me, changing me into the image of Christ himself. He's changing my mind. He's changing my heart. He's changing the desires of my heart. And I think to myself, and by the way, this just stands out to me, that, and again, I, I try not, not, not necessarily to dramatize, but to think what it would have been like for them young disciples. They heard the rumors. They were probably brought up to some degree in the temple. They understood something of a Messiah that was coming. They heard the rumors. They heard the stories because this man was always around this sea, around Tiberias, around Galilee. And for them to be working all night, and they're smelly, and they're sweaty, and, uh, you know, it's just been a long night, and very, very disappointing because in their business they haven't caught anything. There's at least four men here that, that don't have a wage for their, 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 their night's work. And they're fixing their nets, they're cleaning their nets, and I would imagine they're just preparing to go home to rest. And I think maybe they're, you know, maybe just, I like to dramatize this, but they're looking like 200 yards down the shoreline, and maybe, maybe Andrew says to Simon, or Simon says to Andrew, well, what, what's going on? And well, it, it, it's, that, that, it's, it's, it's that Jesus, he's, he's just drawing these incredible crowds. I mean, there must be some... There must be something in what people are saying about him, you know, to be the Messiah, to be the, the, the anointed one. Maybe he is the Christ. And maybe they continue, and, and then Andrew says, hey, don't look now, but he's coming this way. <laughs> it's like, what's he coming here for? You know, what could he possibly want with us? Little did Simon know. Little did Simon know what was coming. But Jesus arrives. We've just read the story. They pull out, they get the fish, and I'm thinking from a from a business perspective, this is, this is the best catch that Peter and John and James and Andrew, I think it's the best catch they've ever had. They say that the two boats were filled and they were sinking. I don't think they've ever had another night like this. And I actually do speak a, a series uh, on lessons on the water, a little bit of this. I, I just love to speak about some of the things that happened on the water. And I guess the, the, the thought is that that. Simon and, and these fishermen had fished all night, and they never caught a thing. But the moment that Jesus stepped into their boat, something changed. Yeah. Here comes the supernatural part. Here comes the do not lean to your own understanding, Simon. Just do what he says. 
You know, it doesn't matter that this has been your experience all night and you haven't caught a thing. And by the way, you men have been on these waters for a long time. You know these waters. You know the nature of the fish. But regardless of that, Jesus spoke a word. You do what Jesus tells you to do. And wait till you see the fruit of that. Wait till you see what can be done whenever Jesus steps into your boat. Yeah? It's a very, very beautiful thing. So maybe Peter's processing, thinking, now with all of these fish, we can pay our taxes. I can upgrade the boats. I can take my wife out and buy her a new dress and go for a fancy meal. And he's thinking just maybe from a business perspective that, wow, Jesus has stepped into my boat and I'm experiencing a degree of prosperity that I've never, ever experienced before. We talked about prosperity last night as well in the proper context, yeah? And maybe the last thing that Peter expected (laughs) was on his best business day was that Jesus was going to take him away from this, yeah? But he said, and I, I can imagine, because believe me, these days I feel like this. It's like, Lord, go away from me. I am an unclean man. And I think about those words, and I think about that, that marker that I mentioned earlier, that this same man that couldn't even stand in the presence of Jesus on his first meeting, that as we go down the road on this journey, that there comes a point in John 6 when, when, when Jesus is speaking about the bread of life, that this same Simon Peter, who said, go away from me, because I am an unclean man. This same Simon Peter, the Word of God says that Jesus has said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot be my disciples. And the Word of God says that many of the disciples, they turned away, they turned back. That's what the Bible says, they just turned back. How hard must that have been? You know that you're walking with the Messiah. This is not just another soapbox preacher that's claiming to be the Messiah. They know that this is the Messiah. But what he's speaking to them is so hard or maybe misinterpreted, misunderstood, but there comes a point, it's like, we just can't do this anymore. And they decide. And it was a lot of people that turned back. And then Jesus turns to the twelve, and he says, would you like to go also? Then Peter speaks some wisdom. This is the same man that told Jesus to go away from him. He says at this marker point in his life, where else can we go? You are the one with the words of eternal life. We're not going anywhere. We can't go anywhere. And for all of us, I know for, for anybody in the congregation, for anybody that's watching tonight, if you've been walking with Jesus for 10, 12, 15, 20, 30 years, you know there is absolutely nowhere else to go. So whenever God speaks to us, no matter to what degree or what depth or to the degree of sacrifice, no matter what it is He's speaking to us, and He is, if we are all part of the same body of Christ, we all have something to do. So how, do we, how, how, how have we responded to that? A couple of minutes. How do we respond to that? There are moments maybe that we can be like Moses and we just find excuses. There are maybe moments in our life that we we really want to run the other way, but I regard myself as being a 
like a kind of practical kind of guy, and it's like, well, it doesn't make sense if you, if you decide to run away like, like Jonah. And th this is the way that he ran, by the way. He ran like this. Because from chapter 1 to suffering to chapter 2 and to the start of chapter 3, he was just back to the exact same place. And eventually, he had to obey the thing that God had called him to do. But in the process, he suffered a lot. And unfortunately, Pastor, and you know this better than me, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that suffer a lot. And by the way, the lessons on the water being that not only did Jonah suffer, but you think of the other people maybe on them other boats. You think of them other people that were on that particular ship. They had to jettison all them things overboard. So there was financial loss. There was just, you know, the fear and just... It's like whatever Jonah was doing was, was having an effect on actually everybody around him in a, in a very, very dangerous and bad way. But he ends up back in the same place, and it's like, okay, well, I've come to learn, and I think it's one of the, one of the successes of Christian life is just, you know what, if that's what he said, that's what we do. Of course, we can question and sometimes I say to myself, I don't, I don't know. I, I know my Father in heaven. I know who He is. You, know, you understand? I know that He's not going to take me down a bad road. I know that His thoughts towards me, His plans for me, I, I understand the best place for me is to head for Nineveh, whether, whether I understand it or not, whether I have an opinion or not, whether I want to see the blessing of God come on them people or not, the obedience to God is more important. And I want to just finish with this. Oh, wow, it was just another beautiful story in, in Matthew 14 is whenever Peter walks on the water. I just wish we had more time to just to delve into a lot of that stuff, but I, th I thought about this. Actually, the last time I spoke last year was in Nepal, up on the mountains, seven hours in the mountains in a place, place called Chitwan, the most incredible place, but the most incredible. I was in a congregation of 150 people who were hungry for the Word of God. It was just, it's, it's nice for an evangelist or a teacher or a pastor or anybody, whenever you know that people really want to receive what you have for them. And I spoke a little bit about this. And we have to remember that contextually, in the timeline, oh, wow, I only discovered this whenever I read through the story last month. John the Baptist had lost his head, and Jesus had just been told, his cousin, dead. Devastating. And then, in the next scene, he's feeding the 5,000. So, I think to myself, you know, how many pastors do we know? And by the way, I told you last night that in my work with a lot of different churches last year, I had the privilege just to listen to pastors. But Jesus, whenever he saw the crowd, he had compassion upon them because they didn't have any food. And here's Jesus in the midst of his grief and shock and pain as the good shepherd. And he decides to put the people before his own needs. Fed the 5,000, Jesus decides we'll send the disciples out on the boat <laughs> again. Again, we know that Jesus calmed the storm before. That's a story for another day. But he sends the disciples out and then he goes to a quiet place. He needs time to grieve. He needs time to speak to his father. And it says in the middle of the night, in the middle of another storm, they see this ghost coming. They think it's a ghost. And then Peter recognizes 
And this is, I mean, I speak another thing on, uh, I guess, this rivalry and competition that these disciples have, because that's the way they were. It's, I, I just find a lot of interesting stuff in the Bible about the rivalry that they had as his disciples wanting to be the best. But of course, Peter speaks up wanting to be the leader or the... And he says, if it's really you, Lord, call me out onto the water. And I, oh, why did I say that? I come out of my mouth. I should have thought about that before. It fell out, and Jesus called him onto the water. And he steps out, and he takes another step, and then he loses sight of the Savior. He loses sight of Jesus. He loses sight of the Messiah, and he begins to sink. He looks to the left. He looks to the right. He feels the rain on his face. He feels the wind and the, the waves crashing around him, and he, he begins to sink as he loses faith. And he cries out to God, to Jesus, and the Word of God says, immediately. Isn't that beautiful? And just as I was coming down them mountains from Nepal, I thought to myself, I never really put two and two together before. But Jonah decides to run in the opposite direction and disobey his God as a prophet and spends three days crying out to God. Yeah? And God responds after a long three days. Yeah. Maybe there's a connection. But the Word of God says, as we read in Mark 1, whenever the disciples were called, immediately, at once, straight away. And at the moment that Peter was in trouble and he cried out to Christ, immediately, at once, straight away, Jesus responded. And I thought to myself, is there, is there a connection is there a connection between our obedience, do you understand, to Him and how He responds to us in our lives? And I thought to myself, well, maybe there is. Maybe if He's telling us to do something and we don't do it, maybe it hinders the prayers. It hinders Him responding to us. But I try and decide, Pastor, that if He speaks to me, I try and do something immediately. And I hope and pray that as I cry out to him in my time of need, and he's faithful. He's not going to run away. He's not going to make excuses. Do you understand that immediately he's going to respond? Amen. So, for each and every one of us, time is short. Um, we know that Christ is coming back soon. There's so much to be done. But it's good for us just to be obedient to the thing that he's called us to do. And we all have a purpose in the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much at home. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Well, praise God. It, uh, um, that was a great message, Brother Nigel. It's, uh, you know, you got me to thinking about uh, Jonah. I never really had seen him in that light about the hardness of his heart, you know. And it really breaks my heart that, uh, uh, you know, because when I'm thinking, you know, as a pastor, not just a pastor, but as a child of God, I see anybody and I think, They've got a plan in heaven, and, and if they'll ever hear it, you know, I can get them into heaven. And it doesn't matter the, the worst dregs of humanity. I, you know, I, when I see I see that, right? And yet, uh, you tell them, talking about examples of people that, that can say, well, you know, not, that, not them over there. Well, that's Jonah, you know, in the hardness of that heart. And, and he re never really, I mean, just, uh, from your, from your he never really got over it. You know, he kind of, he, he submitted a hair but it didn't seem like he ever really got over it because he was obviously upset after the Lord uh, provided for Nineveh and, and got him saved. And, uh, 
And, and um, you know, I wonder how many people in the body of Christ are the same way. You know, some, a sinner comes in, a drug, a drug addict comes in, and a prostitute or a homosexual comes in. And, well, not them. Not them, Lord. Uh, and it just, uh, I, it just really breaks my heart to think that there's people on their way to heaven that have that thought. But, you know, at the same time, uh, I know the reason why the Lord records these stories is not to say, I can't believe Jonah would do that. He, he records the stories because we need to ask, am I Jonah? Right? That's why he recorded Jonah. Not so we can point our finger at Jonah, but so we can look in the mirror. But that's a great message. I, I appreciate that. I've, I've, got to, I've got to think on uh, Jonah there some more, you know, because uh, uh, just four chapters, but it's good, you know, because we don't want to, we want to learn from Jonah's mistakes. Uh, and we want to we wanna be uh, easy like the disciples were. They all said, yeah, you know, we'll go right now, you know. It took, uh, it took Moses a little uh, prodding to get there, right? And uh, I think Jonah had uh, heel marks all the way in his life, you know. But the disciples, they, uh, they moved along in spite of all their faults, you know, while they were his disciples until he went home to be with the Lord but, or home to be with the Father. So anyway, great message. So um, I just want to let the folks know, you know, we do support uh, Brother, Brother Nigel's uh, missionary uh, ministry and um, – um, uh, and if you'd like to uh, get in contact with him, uh, when you come back, you can let me know. I can give you his contact information. You know, sometimes folks want to do some things on their own, and um, and that would be great if you want to uh, do something on your own in, uh, in addition to what the church does because uh, we need to be part of going all over the world because, uh, you know, as, as uh, um, uh, sowing into any missionary's life, we get part of that fruit of their life, right? If they go out there and produce fruit, for the kingdom, you know, that's part of our, our part of our account, and we appreciate that, you know. Uh, it's not a substitute for going. If the Lord tells you to go, you can't buy your way out of it, right? But uh, <laughs> but still, uh, uh, we can still p- do our part, amen? Uh, and so we're going to pray and uh, just thank the Lord for the message tonight. And, of course, uh, it'll be on podcast here after a while, and um, uh, you can go back and watch it on, on Facebook. And if you've got, we've got friends uh, that are watching that's not part of the church, uh, if you want to get in contact with Nigel as well, you can um, uh, contact the church, and we can get you uh, in, connect, in connection with him. Because uh, uh, the blessing of the Lord, you know, all these big uh, companies like Facebook and Google, they think that all this technology is to, for them to make money, uh, and they don't realize that the Lord in heaven ha- has allowed them to create this technology for the advancement of the kingdom. Uh, and so he's he is he can contact them anywhere in the world, even probably on. The, uh, there's probably a Wi-Fi uh, hotspot in Nepal somewhere up in the Himalayas, right? <laughs> and so uh, it's uh, the Lord is good, amen? Uh, and so praise God. Well, let's pray and thank the Lord for the word today. So, Father, we do thank you for the word. And, Father, we thank you for the word that was sown in our hearts. And we ask you to uh, let that word of the evangelist, Father, to, to rise up in us and, and uh, compel us to go, Father. Uh, and uh, and if, we, if we can't go, if we're not called to go, to compel us to help those to go. Uh, and so we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for the message that was given, uh, and we'll take it to heart, Father. We'll allow it to, to grow and to increase into us, uh, and to look at the examples uh, that you have provided for us in the Word, uh, and to take up those examples that uh, most honor and glorify you, Father, and to reject the examples, Father, that, uh, that turn away from the plan and the, and the love and the blessings of the Lord. And so we thank you for that, Father. We give you praise and honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right. Praise God. Well, thanks, everybody, for coming out and uh, online, and uh, we'll see you all on Sunday.